0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast 2021 Player Reviews. I'm Josh Nelson. In the upcoming months, we'll be selecting a player or position group to recap their 2021 season discussing if said player or players met or exceeded expectations, and what does their near-future outlook appear to be with the 2022 Chicago White Sox. The continued rise of Tim Anderson saw him finish 7th in MVP voting after a tremendous 2020 season. Becoming the face of the Chicago White Sox, Anderson was slotted to have another great campaign in 2021, However, there were still many around the league that weren't quite sure just how good Anderson had become. MLB Network's top 10 at each position, using what they call the Shredder, ranked Anderson as the 10th best shortstop in Major League Baseball. Not that is a slight, but it did serve as motivation for Anderson, who wanted to make his claim as one of the best in his position. Anderson started strong in the month of April. In 16 games, Anderson had a base hit in 14 of them. In total, Anderson had 21 base hits with three home runs and two doubles. However, after a hamstring injury running the bases suffered during the opening series against Los Angeles Angels, Anderson had already missed nine games in the season. Turning the calendar over to May 1st, and Anderson delivered for the White Sox by hitting a grand slam against Cleveland. Anderson would just have one more home run in the month of May, and it resulted in his worst monthly production in 2021, as he had a monthly OPS of 697. And it wasn't much better in the month of June for Anderson, as his OPS was just 720, and he only had one home run in that month. On July 1st, Anderson was hitting .291, which is good, but a .326 on base percentage, and he was slugging just .404. But the White Sox shortstop got hot at the plate, carrying his longest hitting streak of the season to 16 games. Anderson had a 309-345-424 slash line at the All-Star break, in which he earned his first All-Star nod as a replacement. He played two innings of shortstop, but was left waiting in the on-deck circle, and Tampa Bay Rays manager Kevin Cash, who was managing the American League team, regretted he couldn't get Anderson a plate appearance in the All-Star game, speaking with the reporters afterwards. Anderson used that snub as motivation fuel. After the All-Star break, Anderson hit a home run in three straight games against the Houston Astros and Minnesota Twins. Anderson would hit homers in back to back games again on August 8th and 9th against the Chicago Cubs and Minnesota Twins. The Cubs game was a national broadcast as Sunday Night Baseball moved that from ESPN to ABC for the first time in decades. In those two games, Anderson also had three hits in each of them. As Anderson impressed national audiences, the Field of Dreams game was looming. If you watched Any baseball in 2021, you already know what Anderson did. After the New York Yankees hit two homers off Liam Hendricks in the top of the ninth inning to take the lead, Anderson was at the plate with one out and a runner on first base. Facing Zach Britton, Anderson drove a fastball on the outside corner of the plate to deep right field for the walk-off two-run homer in front of the largest television audience in more than a decade for Major League Baseball. Anderson's popularity soared. Anderson's monster August carried over to September, in which he posted his best month of the season, hitting a 935 OPS. Carrying a hot stick into the postseason, Anderson was attempting to pull off what he accomplished the previous season, where he went 9-for-16 in the three-game series against Oakland. Anderson came close, even though the White Sox lost the ALDS in four games. Anderson was 7-for-19 at the plate, with 3 hit games in Game 2 and Game 3. In his young postseason career, Anderson is now 16-for-33 in 7 playoff games. Baseball reference gave Anderson a 4.8 war season and Fangraphs a 4.3 war campaign. Anderson finished 4th in the American League at batting average at 309 and finished with his 3rd straight 800 OPS season. What we have seen with the White Sox shortstop is a revelation and a tremendous progress since 2017. For someone who creates their own motivation and strives to be the best at their position, how close is Anderson to being considered a top 5 shortstop in all of Major League Baseball? We answer that question and continue the conversation about Tim Anderson after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast as we continue our conversation about Tim Anderson. And joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and we are recording this on January 9th, 2022. Uh, And Jim, how was your weekend, man? Uh, It was snowy. We
2: got about six inches of snow in Nashville, which was a first, at least in terms of like a Measurable, fluffy, shovelable snow. We had an ice storm that persisted for three days. So I was more or less stuck inside, but I understand you had uh, fun at uh, the 108 Fest. How'd that go?
1: Yeah, at Reggie's on uh, South State Street. Awesome venue. They have been terrific to us. And we had the Socks Fest after party after 2020 Socks Fest. That's been the last Socks Fest. And for those that don't know, Socks Fest is. Is always good time because as you are inching closer to spring training, you kind of go through this dead period when it comes to content. Usually, when there's a CBA active, and Socks Fest gives everyone that covers the White Sox an opportunity to get like four to five stories out of that fest. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is no Socks Fest, <laughs> uh, I think they canceled it. Because of COVID, but in reality, I think the White Sox knew there's no way they could have a fan fest when the when there is a lockout. Uh, so instead of doing the Sox Fest after party, our friends over at the From the 108 uh, decided to have it on January 8th, 108 Day, which is a, a big day for them because they do a lot of charitable. Drives as far as merchandise that you could purchase on their website and the uh, net proceeds of the ticket spot for the event at Reggie's uh, also went to charity as well. And uh, it was a very fun time. Uh, They are a bit on the goofy side uh, compared to you and I, Jim. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think one of the questions that they were discussing during the event is who is going to be the next White Sox second baseman. And at least two people on the panel said Cesar Hernandez, not knowing that Cesar Hernandez has already signed with the Washington Nationals. I thought you
2: were going to say James Shields.
1: <laughs> no, no. Uh, Chirisi's bold prediction when I asked him in the first panel uh, is this year it's Aloy Jimenez winning the Gold Glove in left field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we'll see if that happens. I, I'm rooting for Chirizzi, uh to have his bold prediction be correct.
2: I'm trying to think my bold prediction last year was that Tony LaRusso wouldn't finish the season, yeah and it didn't uh pan out. <laughs> but was, do you remember what yours was? You know now that I'm thinking yeah,
1: of I uh, I had six all-stars for the White Sox. Oh, not bad yeah. Kind of close. I mean, let's see here. Lance Lynn, Liam Hendricks, Carlos Sardan. Tim Anderson so far. So I was too shy. My bold prediction this year is that Luis Robert will win the American league MVP.
2: Hmm. That's good. Yeah. I've, I don't have a bold prediction off the cuff. I will have to think of one for a future episode.
1: Yeah. Well, when we get closer, you know, in may, when we get closer to opening day, uh, (laughs) with the way that conversations are going, uh, regarding as far as the CBA, but someone that may surprise and, the last three seasons has been very good for the Chicago White Sox is Tim Anderson. And in the intro, I mentioned that Anderson in 2020 finished seventh in MVP voting and he made his first all-star appearance and he was again, fifth in the top five at batting average in the American league. So Jim, how would you grade Tim Anderson's 2021 season?
2: I would say that I would call it a B plus. You know, there are things he could do a little bit better, but really, when it comes to just the uh, any kind of knock on him, it's that he played 123 games. So availability is really maybe the biggest thing going against him. And you can maybe say that uh, you know his power was a little bit hit and miss, and that you know his his usual brand of uh, um, you know base stealing kind of uh, tailed off, and he wasn't a, that big of a threat, but He's putting it all together. He's fine, really. Just the only thing that keeps me from giving him an A is that he missed uh, 40 games.
1: And about that durability, because you, you do raise a good point. In the last three seasons, so that this is 2019, 2020, 2021, Tim Anderson has been terrific for the White Sox. In 19, he had a 4.2 war season. In 60 games in 2020, uh, he, in a 60-game season, he had a 2.3 war season. And in 2021, Tim Anderson had a 4.8 war season. All these numbers are coming from BaseballReference.com. But he has missed 24% of the games in the last three years. Is that Mm -hmm. amount beyond regular rest? Because I feel like it is. Like He's not going to play 100% of the games. No one's Cal Ripken anymore in today's modern major leagues. But it has been a nagging hamstring issue that has cost Anderson games. How big of an issue is the durability topic coming into 2022 concerning Anderson?
2: Yeah, when it comes to the whole you know Cal Ripken thing and just getting the modern idea of what's durable and what's not, I usually kind of mentally assign 140 games as kind of like a healthy season versus an unhealthy season because probably you know most guys shouldn't be playing 160. 150 is good. You know, that that's, I, I think, great. I would call 150 great. And 140 is probably healthy enough, I would say. I'd draw the line at that. That's maybe one small injured list stint, plus missing games here and there, like maybe you know taking a pitch to the hand or something like that, not being knocked out, but missing a couple games, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and he hasn't quite gotten there in the last two full seasons, and maybe would have missed that time as well. In uh, 2020, but I'm wondering if he's one of the players who, you know, and you can name anyone, (laughs) I guess like uh, there are a lot of players who suffered these vague leg injuries, um, uh, a little bit of a, you know, throwback to Brett Lurie, but like Adam Engel was another one, just guys who were said to not be injured, but also not be available for sizable stretches or at least long enough to ask the question why isn't he on the injured list already like why are, why do they uh play him and then set the clock back instead of just putting him on the injured list and uh perhaps you know not knowing if 10 days would fix it you know just it, there, there was a lot of uh curious calls in that regard and i think that's one of the big reasons why they decided to move on uh from alan thomas and just figure out a new approach for the conditioning sector of their uh, training staff but yeah it's It's a concern in the sense that, you know, he's done it three years in a row or at least two years in a row, two and a half years in a row. The good thing is that these injuries never seem to uh, knock him off his game. Like when he comes back, he's usually pretty good. He's not playing through anything, so maybe it's a case where he knows himself pretty well and can kind of ask out of games where he knows that it's going to be a bad week. If I keep playing, it's going to be a bad, you know, ugly, uh, you know, it's going to turn from an ugly week into an ugly month. If I try to push through this and, you know, he's somebody who can monitor himself well enough, but I also think there are some, you know, he's one of the reasons why they're, they're going to tweak the training staff
1: for the shortstops that finished in the top 10 in wins above replacement in 2021. Tim Anderson played the fewest amount of games. Out of the top 10 shortstops in war in 2021, Uh, he played seven fewer games than Fernando Tatis Jr., for example. Tatis Jr. was able to play 130 games in 2021 uh, compared to Tim Anderson's 123. So I think you're right. The 140 game goal would be wonderful for Tim Anderson to hit. And it would be wonderful for the White Sox as well, because it's not like they have some budding superstar at shortstop that's lingering around in double A or triple A currently in the farm system. So if Anderson goes in the IL, uh, they're kind of in a bind uh, as far as filling in for him.
2: Unless uh, Larry Garcia, just the way he always plays when he has to replace Anderson for a week. If he could continue that for a month, then there'd be no drop off whatsoever. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. So it'd be great if Tim Anderson could play 140 plus games and with all the counting stats and everything, he continues to climb up the ranks as far as the top shortstops in the game of baseball. We'll get to that in a moment. So let's move over to as far as his total production and the last two full regular seasons. So 2019 and 2021. Tim Anderson has been 4-plus war in 2020 with the pace that he was going at in a a 60-game season. He was going to be 4-plus war again. Going into 2022, Jim, can White Sox fans continue to count on Tim Anderson continuing to be a 4-plus war player?
2: It seems like it, you know, the, the injury thing that we just talked about. <laughs> as long as it doesn't turn into something more significant to where it costs him more games or finds the injury that saps him for much longer than he's on the injured list for. Otherwise, you know, it's it's a hard way to make a living the way he produces with basically zero walks and having to hit his way on every time. And, and, and you know, his shortstop defense has gone from wobbly to good enough, you know, uh, fine. So, you know, he's really taken a journey as a professional, uh, shortstop, both, uh, when it comes to the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. And I think he's done it long enough now to where you say, yeah, you know, that's his way of doing it, but he's good at doing it the way that he does it. Uh, and, and I think Frank Manichino said like, I wouldn't teach anybody to hit the way he teaches. He just has an understanding of where his hands need to be as the ball approaches Kind of shape his barrel to, uh, you know, hammer it through the left side in the ground, or doink it to right side in the air, or drive the pitch that is just uh, you know kind of like a mistake-breaking ball. He can load back and stay back and and have enough power to get it out with a whole not a whole lot of lower body. Like he's got a whole lot of ways to make
1: that swing work, and so I think at this point you just have to trust it. So on the defense, let's let's as you mentioned, let's chat about that. How does Tim Anderson compare to the rest of the league? Because this has been a progression ever since Anderson has been called up by the White Sox, where he's one of the worst defensive shortstops in Major League Baseball, especially his rookie year in 2016 and 2017. After the 2021 season, where does Anderson now rank compared to the rest of the league, Jim?
2: Well, the metrics now basically agree. Like he'd been a little bit divisive, you know, between ultimate zone rating and defensive run saved and then, you know, StatCast introduced uh, outs above average. And when you look at just the metrics year to year, they're they're not in complete agreement over what he does because his game was so error prone and, and you know, you had some sensational plays mixed in with that too. Like he had a pretty good range, but he also made a lot of errors within that range and so you had some disagreements over which, you know, metrics prioritize which skill more. And, you know, in any case, errors are what kept him from being elite. It's been a little bit of an evolution in the sense that when you watch him play, and you watch him play as often as we do, you know, basically, you're talking about like 140 game mark. Watching 140 games live is basically kind of our, uh, what we... <laughs> And so I think we should be paid as much as Tim Anderson gets paid for watching 140 games. We are Ironmen. Uh, But uh, (laughs) when you watch him play, like I was struck by how many of the plays on the edge of the range... He didn't complete. Like he would, you know, knock it down a, a grounder in the hole, or he would uh, make a pick to his left, but the spinning pirouette throw would be offline, and Jose Abreu would have to come off the bag, or maybe get past him. Like he, he just wasn't completing the highlight level plays. Like he would maybe, uh, you know, get down to the ground to stop a play, but just couldn't pop up in time and collect the ball to get the play done. And, and when I looked up his defensive highlights, they're all on like balls in the air, uh, you know, great sensational leaping catches on line drives or covering some ground uh, towards the foul line or in center field, like he was good at that and, and could make a good double play turn here and there. But when it came to like the, the rangy defensive shortstop highlight reel he didn't really have that i was kind of bracing for the metrics to take a big bite out of you know what he'd been doing or what he'd been building just because those plays hadn't been there and i thought maybe some of the leg injuries he'd suffered that was maybe one area where it also kind of hurt him like kind of shaved down his range a bit but what happened was that his errors really came down like he went from 26 errors in his last full season at short to 10 and he was making all like the the maddening errors that he'd made uh you know very makeable plays where maybe his legs were out of sorts or like he collected the ball on the wrong step and then had to gather incorrectly and, and fired wide or just kind of bobbled and couldn't, you know, couldn't find the handle in rhythm. He seemed to be a lot more in control on plays like that. So I was curious about like how the metrics would weigh that, you know, just a more, I guess you could call them conservative shortstop in terms of making the plays he can make and not trying, you know, not converting, but also not making terrible misplays on plays that test him and throws that might be ill-advised. And this is maybe the most agreement we've seen to where they all call him average or maybe slightly a tick above. He's not going to compete for any gold gloves. You're not going to hear him called one of the best shortstops in baseball defensively, and he's not going to have, like, those big boosts that you see, like, the uh, elite shortstops get from their work out there. But he's, he's different from what he's been but he's somebody you don't mind being out there. Like he's he's good, he's fine. It's hard to improve upon him when you look at the total skills, especially the way he's played defense and the, the errors he's not making.
1: Yeah, out of the all of the players that played shortstop in 2021 that had at least 250 attempts to make a play at the shortstop position, Anderson ranked 13th out of 29 in outs above average. And according to Baseball Savant, he prevented two runs defensively. And he's right there with other shortstops that you as the fans are aware of, Dansby Swanson of the Atlanta Braves and Fernando Tatis Jr. And it appears that Anderson, and this is why I like Baseball Savant, because uh, they like to map this on how the about uh, outs above average works moving to the right or to the left. Anderson can still work and approve upon moving to his left on uh, the balls hit up the middle. And lo and behold, if we rewatch the American League Division series, and this is where it gets really frustrating is the Astros just continuing to get all these base hits right up the middle of the infield. Uh, so I'm not sure if it's positioning that's also impacting as far as Tim Anderson. If there's a way that he could maybe mm-hmm. cheat a little closer to second base because Yohan Makata continues to improve at third base defensively. If that is one area to watch in 2022 for Tim Anderson to improve defensively. But you hit it on the head, Jim. I mean, so many of the errors that Anderson had in previous years were throwing errors, and his footwork and body control, especially on the slow rollers or the slow choppers where he's got to move in, Anderson has made huge strides, huge strides to improve in that area of his game, and it's definitely showing up in his wins above replacement.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the numbers for the position, and in 2019... Uh, White Sox shortstops led uh, the American League in errors with 34 over 161 games. And then in 2021, the next full season, they finished uh, second to last in the American League uh, with only 10 errors at shortstop. And only the Royals had seven. Uh, Nicky Lopez had a great year at yeah, shortstop. But, uh, you, know, you know, I think Lopez is a little bit different of a defender. He's, he's one of those shortstops who grades as elite, like avoids errors and makes more plays you know, as you mentioned, like maybe Anderson with the, some of the plays he's not making on the edges of his range are partially because uh, White Sox positioning has been subpar and they're shifting. And just maybe that requires some reworking because it wasn't just Anderson in that regard, like second base, uh, you know, on on, on the other side of the diamond was absent. Um, You know, we saw Aaron Bummer (laughs) have a lot of issues with, uh, you know, just the placement of ground balls and and, uh, being hit to where, um, you know, defenders weren't. So that's something that's, Worth keeping an eye on as the White Sox either shift more or shift better.
1: So let's talk about something fun for Tim Anderson. That's his offense. And when you break down Anderson's numbers, there's really nothing to complain about. Sure, I'd like to see his 56% ground ball rate. If he could shed 6% of that in exchange for line drives, I think that will increase his slugging percentage in 2022. But again, for as long as we've been watching Tim Anderson from the very beginning of 2016 to the present, for a hitter who had significant holes in his swing, gym, Mm -hmm. Opposing pitchers are now having a tough time figuring out what gets Tim Anderson out consistently. Offensively, do you see anything missing from Anderson's game?
2: No, I think the things that are missing are not so much things he's missing, but things that he shows sometimes for impressive stretches, but isn't quite able to sustain it over a full year. And I'm thinking like the uh, stolen bases, he tends to come out hot uh, when it, uh, over the course of a season uh, and then peter out uh, when it comes to stolen bases. And I think that's the leg issues that pop up. And that's one way I think he preserves himself is by not taking as many chances on the base paths uh, to steal a base. But, you know, he stole 26 bases in 2018 and hasn't quite gotten there yet. He's been on that pace before, but just that pace tends to... Uh, Slack off in the uh, second half, I think, as the uh, miles or the injuries kind of take a little bit out of him. Um, The other thing, too, is the power. Like, he has some stretches where he can, you know, just gets in a power tear, especially against, uh, seems like the Tigers, especially against Matthew Boyd. Uh, he, He takes it on some pitchers and teams, but isn't able to show it, I would say, for maybe like months at a time, or at least a month at a time. It's more of a contained to like a week or two. So it seems like he could tap into that more, but. I think that's more, you know, I guess trying to get him to be the perfect Tim Anderson as opposed to the very good one he is and accept that he's going to be mortal and have streaks. I think the, if there's one, you know, thing that I think is worth keeping in mind, it's that, you know, a lot of his flaws or things you might consider flaws, you know, being right handed, hitting ground balls on the left side, being aggressive and, and not walking enough and maybe striking a little bit too much for the uh, too few walks he draws. Those are all things he was doing before everybody else. Like everybody's kind of cramping his style and saying like, yeah, hey, this is my corner. This is, uh, you know, this is what I've been doing. You know, get your own ideas, get your own offensive identity. Uh, I'm making this work. I'm sorry if you can't do it as well as I do, try something else. (laughs) I think that's, I think, if, if you're frustrated with Tim Anderson at all, or if I'm kind of disenchanted with him at times, it's more because some of his flaws are echoed by too many other
1: hitters in the White Sox lineup who aren't as good as him. So let's go through the drill of picking the top 10 shortstops in the league, because when it comes to Tim Anderson before the 2021 season, and this is typically left up to MLB network, they usually create this content. They have something called the shredder. But again, as the lockout continues, there's no such content because major league baseball, the MLB network has no interest in actually talking about the current players right now during the lockout it's a very weird situation for a broadcast network uh, at this time so we're going to take it over because i think one of the questions leading up to 2022 especially for white Sox fans that still feel like they are defending just how good tim anderson is especially for those outside of chicago or maybe even outside the south side if you're debating with chicago cubs fans about who is the better shortstop javier baez or tim anderson When you rank the top 10 shortstops in the league, Jim, Mm -hmm. who do you got number one in Major League Baseball right now?
2: I would say Trey Turner.
1: Okay. I like that pick. Do you think he'll stay at shortstop? (laughs) That's the question for the Dodgers.
2: Yeah, that's the case. Like, you know, he's been the best shortstop. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, how they evolve there. But just he's been, I think... Kind of almost the perfect shortstop when it comes to power, speed, defense, uh, the ability to hit for average the way that Anderson does. Like, just, you know, he's been pretty much flawless as a player.
1: Okay, so I like that. Uh, I have the mega free agent that's still out there. Uh, I have Carlos Correa as the number one shortstop. Yeah, he's in my top tier. Like I kind of have a, I, I'm kind of looking at tiers right now because I
2: think there there are clusters of them to where I think you can quibble about whether they're within this range of numbers, but I think they're within a certain range, and I think uh, that's kind of how I approached it.
1: Got it. Okay, so who else is in your top tier other than Correa and Turner?
2: Well, it seems like a top three is Trey Turner, Correa, and then Tatis.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that as far as being the top tier. The thing is, the more I read as far as the work coming from San Diego, is can Tate stay at shortstop long term? He's super young. Mm-hmm. He's 23 years old. And if he continues to work on his defensive craft, I think eventually he's going to iron out a lot of the issues that he is having, much like we saw Tim Anderson have a lot of issues. Uh, when he first joined the league, the super athletic player at the shortstop position that can make highlight plays. But if you watch him every day, the airs really pile up. And mm-hmm. that is what's hurting Tatis is defensively. We know what he could do offensively. Uh, he right now has the highest projected war. According to Zip's projections from Fangraphs.com uh going to 2022 season. I, I, I feel good about this top tier.
2: Yeah, I, I think he also has that shoulder issue, too. That That's also weird. Like, I'm not quite sure what to make of that.
1: Well, his shoulder issue is much like other young White Sox players, not knowing how to slide. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> see what happens uh, in 2022 for Tatis. But OK, so I agree with you in this top tier. I think these are your top three shortstops in Correa, Turner and Tatis. What about the second tier?
2: Second tier is weird just because Marcus Semien, like he would be there if you're playing shortstop. You know, he might not be <laughs> anymore. Yeah, uh, you know, he might just be a second baseman. So I'm not quite sure whether to count him, but I think if he were dead set on playing shortstop, I'd consider him top of that second tier. Trevor Story is there. And then uh, Corey Seeger and Bo Bichette, I think, are also there in that second tier.
1: Okay. So this is, this would be your like your top six or maybe even top seven if you do include. Yeah. Simeon. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Brandon Crawford? That's a weird one. <laughs> he just, he came
2: out of no, like the player he was last year. Sure. Better than Tim Anderson. But is he that guy? Like, how did he, how did that season happen? I'm like, I'm just looking at his numbers. To get it right here. Uh, yeah. Bad 298, 373 OBP 522 slugging for San Francisco, which is no small feat to slug 522. And you're playing half your games. Uh, in the Bay. He never slugged above 462 in any other season, never got on base above. he, He had one year above 330 before this past year, never hit higher than 275. So historically, I would put Crawford below Anderson, but last year was weird. Last If you were that player for like two years in a row, then I'd put him above Anderson. But I think I want to see him do it again because Anderson's had you know three good years in a row, whereas Crawford's looked like he was on the decline until, bam, all-star.
1: Yeah, so my second tier, I think there's one shortstop in my second tier that I really feel like if they bounce back to their normal production, they are definitely in the first tier, if not number one, and that is Francisco Lindor. Mm-hmm. I know that he had a bad season with the New York Mets. He had a three-point war, a three-point one war season, which for Lindor is not good. <laughs> Even though a three-war yeah. season is a uh, is pretty good in Major League Baseball, uh, so he would be leading this tier two for me. With me also understanding that I would easily move Lindor to the tier one, if not the number one spot, if he bounces back to where he was uh, in his Cleveland form uh, before he joined the New York Mets, uh, and then. This is where I have Tim Anderson. I do put Tim Anderson in the Tier 2. I think he's right there with Xander Bogarts and Bo Bichette as far as overall quality when it comes to shortstops. Bichette collected more base hits, but Anderson had the better better batting average. Uh, And I think Bogarts is going to continue to pick up more power numbers as far as the home runs and RBIs compared to Bichette and Anderson but this is where I do have Anderson in the, the second tier. I'm assuming you got Anderson in your third tier as far as in the back 10 of the top 10 shortstops.
2: Yep. I'm in the third tier with uh, Bogarts and Lindor because Lindor's had like two iffy seasons in a row because his last you know 60 game stretch with Cleveland wasn't as impressive as we've gotten used to seeing him, And I think it was easier to, or like easy to write off when it was a weird 60 games and, just nobody knew what to expect. A lot of guys were thrown off and just a lot of samples were strange. That was weird. But seeing it, you know, in conjunction with his first year with the Mets where he hit 230 uh, and just was a completely different offensive player, like uh, 20 homers instead of 30, uh, 10 steals instead of 20, like everything was had a big bite taken out of it. So I'm kind of wondering now two seasons in a row if he's just – more of a very good shortstop rather than somebody who can tap into that MVP candidate that he had been. So that's where I think, you know, Anderson has his shortcomings when it comes to just the health that's been holding him back to where like makes it hard for me to put him in that second tier. I think Corey Seager has the same health issues, but he's when he's played, he's had that like elite MVP-type performance that Anderson hasn't quite been able to reach. So I think that's why I have Seager above him. But when it comes to that Tier 3 Bogarts, Anderson, and Lindor, I think that's where I'm at right now.
1: You make a great point regarding Seager, because Seager leads my Tier 3. I just need to see him healthy. Yeah. And with him going to Texas, where, I mean, he had an amazing World Series for the Los Angeles Dodgers at that stadium in 2020, if he plays 140-plus games, okay, well, this is another guy that goes straight to Tier 1, as far as the top shortstops in the game of baseball. I'm just a little bit concerned about Seeger's health. Uh, but then again, he's so young. Uh, so if he bounces back, again, he shoots right back up. And this is where you know, the conversation of what does Tim Anderson have to do to be a top five shortstop? And as I mentioned in the intro. Basically stay healthy. Yeah, basically stay healthy <laughs> is, is number one. Kenny Williams. Uh, but, <laughs> but for him to be ranked 10th, right? If you did this top 10 list again and he surveyed other baseball analysts, baseball writers, there's nothing to sneeze about for Tim Anderson to be ranked 10th. Uh, in a top 10 shortstop list. Because last year, you had 15 shortstops in Major League Baseball that had a three-war or better season. This is a stacked position in Major League Baseball where we are seeing this great class of shortstops again. Uh, much like we saw in like the late 90s into the mid-2000s, especially the American League, when you had... Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, Nomar Para in their primes and doing what they were doing it was a lot of fun uh, to watch as far as that stretch of shortstop play. It's much deeper now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's awesome that we could have this conversation and be serious that Tim Anderson is definitely a top 10 shortstop in Major League Baseball, and he deserves that recognition. For him, someone that loves to motivate himself, to becoming a top five shortstop is going to require a pretty special season, right? I, I'm thinking like a five plus WAR type of season, which would be a career high for Tim Anderson to to break through and be in that first tier of quality when it comes to shortstops in baseball.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember last year when having a discussion and seeing that list, and I think Anderson came in on MLB. uh, MLB.com's, uh list of tenths. Uh, and I thought, well, that's a slap in the face. And then I looked at the nine shortstops ahead of him and thought, no, that's fair. (laughs) Like that's, uh, you know, maybe you can pick uh, one or two shortstops, but they're all good. So that's, that's when it hit me that, yeah, this is, if you say he's not an all-star, like there just might be megastars, uh, MVP candidates ahead of him versus, you know, just him not being able to, uh, You know, maybe hit for the power that some guys hit for, or play the kind of defense, or get on base the way guys do. But like, it's no, it's no knock on him. It just, uh, you know, like I said before, if he were able to have that 140, 150 game season and maintain that production, I think he's a lot harder to ignore, a lot harder to set aside, or it may maybe just makes it easier for him to remind everybody, like, oh, here are the counting stats. Like, uh, you no longer have to consider my counting stats on pace for, or. If you were able to stay healthy, or like in the case of the 60 game season, like times 2.7, like you don't have to do any of that. Just hear the counting stats, they speak for themselves.
1: So lastly, as we talk about how many great shortstops there are in Major League Baseball, shortstops are getting rich, Jim, in Major mm-hmm. League Baseball with these gigantic contracts. And we saw Seeger sign for 10 years 325 million. I am sure Carlos Correa is going to beat that mark. The Chicago White Sox have Tim Anderson under contract with two club options over the next three years and paying him $36 million. Yeah. That is a steal compared to the production that he is providing to the team. And at the level of production that he is compared to his peers who are making that much in a single season, okay? Mm-hmm. So, looking at Tim Anderson's play, if he were a free agent now, what do you think Tim Anderson could get in an open market? I think I start with the Javier Baez deal, uh
2: 6 for 140. That's I think where I'd start just because Anderson isn't the defender that Baez is and maybe isn't uh, he doesn't have the versatility that Baez has shown like Anderson hasn't been played anywhere else. Uh, Whereas with the Cubs, Baez got some exercise at a few different positions and, and, uh, you know, made himself useful uh, wherever the Cubs put him. Um, But when you look at just the Anderson's steadiness offensively, I think Baez has a lot more fluctuation in his game. And now that Anderson has improved to be a good defender, um, you know, somebody you don't mind playing out there. I think that's the point where you start at Baez. And I think, you know, when mentioning durability, like Marcus Semien got seven uh, seven years, hundred seventy five million, and he's I think the ideal when it comes to shortstop durability because he's only had one year of the last uh, seven where he actually missed time with injuries. Otherwise, it's been one hundred fifty five, one hundred fifty nine, one fifty nine, one sixty two, one sixty two, and then he had the fifty three out of sixty in uh, twenty twenty. But he's been you know just as durable as it gets could probably play 162 in those years where he played 159. You know, if it were just uh, the Ripken days versus uh, you know, having some idea of load management, but he is where I think he, maybe he tops out Anderson does just because uh, Simeon's a little bit older. Like he's got a year on him and now he's playing second versus short, but I would think that seven 175 deal sounds pretty close. The one thing I can see is that they might not want to go seven just because Anderson might be a candidate to age poorly based on just the fact that he doesn't really have OBP uh, skills in his back pocket. Like he needs a hit to get on base. He needs his athleticism to uh, make the most out of his ground balls. So I think if he were to lose a step speed wise, it might affect him more than other players who, you know, either have elite gloves or have that eye to draw walks. Like he's somebody I think, uh, has to probably prove himself in his 30s or I think teams will make him prove himself in his 30s uh rather than you know having some obp skills or some elite power skills that teams feel comfortable banking on even if other other skills fall off.
1: Yeah, cuz Anderson is entering his age 29 season with the White Sox in 2022 and with the club options covering his age 30 and age 31 season. Anderson won't be a free agent until age 32. And you mentioned Marcus Simeon. I wonder if Anderson continues to be a four plus war player over the next three years. And if the White Sox were interested in keeping Tim Anderson on the South side and in a White Sox uniform, I wonder if they're going to have to meet that $25 million a season AAV. Like it may not be seven years. It may Mm -hmm. be four or five years, but I I do wonder if, and again, this is a conversation for three seasons down because we know the White Sox, they're not going to not pick up the club options for Tim Anderson. They're totally going to take advantage of this opportunity that they have uh, as far as to show some flexibility in their player payroll. And that's to the detriment of Tim Anderson because I think we both agree Mm -hmm. Tim Anderson would make a lot more money uh, if he were a free agent right now. Uh, than his current deal with the Chicago White Sox when he signed the six-year $25 million deal uh, a few seasons ago. But it is something that does linger, because if you have a fan come up to us, Jim, and ask, do you think Tim Anderson is going to retire as a Chicago White Sox? I don't know, because when he becomes a free agent, and with the way that shortstops are getting paid and with how well Tim Anderson's getting paid, he's also entering into a territory that the White Sox have not been very comfortable spending money in.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll force some conversations. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, among fans, among the front office, just because I mentioned like the, uh, the skills are, it's a tough way to make a living and it's probably even tougher to do in your thirties. If you don't have anything to offset it, like I'm thinking like Alexei Ramirez comes to mind. Somebody who had a similar skill set. like he had that one year where he drew, uh, like 50 walks, but otherwise he was somebody who, when he was playing as himself or as true to himself as he did, like he would draw 30 walks in a year and he wouldn't strike, you know, he'd strike out maybe, you know, twice that, you know, maybe he never actually got to 90 strikeouts in a year. So he's more of a contact oriented hitter. Speed, defense, 150, 160 game durability. Like he had that everything going for him, but as soon as it dried up. Like he had the last year at the White Sox where he hits uh 249, like the the contact ability wasn't quite there and the he had a career low uh 285 OBP and then one year later he was done. And that's what I'm wondering about when it comes to, you know, Anderson just yeah, and this is really, uh, you know, far-reaching conversation, <laughs> and we're talking about, like, I'm thinking, what year would that be, 20, uh, 2026, 2027 we're talking about? So it's it's quite a ways away from him reaching that, that kind of level, because Alexei was done uh, at age 34. But that's kind of what I'm thinking of, and, and how I'm thinking teams might see his aging curve. So I could see him making 25 million, you know, making that kind of uh, commitment, or you know, 20 million at least. But maybe being on two to three year deals, and you know, maybe or maybe with like club options, or maybe vesting mm-hmm. options. If he plays 140 plus games in like his last year, he might get to you know uh, the the next year's option might vest. I can see different ways to construct it to where like he can guarantee himself. More money, but just based on the way he makes a living and how few players there are that would have been as successful as him while drawing so few walks, uh, and also like not seeing many of those players in their mid thirties, I think that's going, going to give teams some pause. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that 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 contract extension he signed is probably maybe the leading reason why players don't sign for that cheap anymore <laughs> just uh yeah the the cost of a, a contract extension early career extension has really gone up and i think you know anderson might have been on that last wave of contracts that was still acceptable and and still didn't feel like that big of a trade-off and and you know then then you get a couple of years later with like ozzy albies and such where you just realize like oh they're signed for too cheap like i think if if you uh if Anderson's timeline was set a couple of years later, uh, we might have looked at it as uh, quite a bit different uh, as, as opposed to the context which said, oh, good job by the White Sox, Anderson secures something because he's had a kind of a rocky start to his career. I think uh, uh, yeah, he would have been obviously better off betting on himself, but uh, uh, with his free agency arriving in his early 30s, and he might not get his chance to like have that one huge contract. He might have to try to get a couple of them.
1: Well, if he continues to play in his next three seasons, how well he has played in his past three seasons with the White Sox, Tim Anderson will have that big payday uh, in his career. But he's going to be on the South side for the next three years. It is something to ponder for those that are wondering how much would it cost to have Tim Anderson retire as a Chicago White Sox player and keep him around on the South side. Well, it is something to contemplate because shortstops, are not getting cheap uh, Mm -hmm. if you're paying attention to the offseason activity of the last couple of years.
2: Come on, Colson Montgomery.
1: (laughs) Well, Jim, this has been fun. Thank you so much for hopping on and helping recap Tim Anderson's 2021 season. My pleasure. That will do it for this 2021 Player Review Podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts follow us on Twitter at Sox machine, and you can follow me on Twitter at Sox machine underscore Josh. For those that have been listening to the show all season, and if you haven't already signed up, think about doing so at our Patreon page. Our Patreon supporters receive exclusive content, ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and the first opportunity to receive our new socks Machine swag items. We have monthly plans starting at just $2 a month, and our annual plan save you 9%. To sign up visit patreon.com/socksmachine. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of socksmachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.